Hey friends, are you struggling to attract and retain top talent? If you're worried about recruiting and retention, consider Insperity, a leading HR provider. They'll help you improve hiring and compensation practices so you can spend more time growing your business and less time on HR. Visit Insperity.com and download their free ebook on how to build your dream team. Don't let a lack of talent hinder your success. See how Insperity provides HR that makes a difference at Insperity.com. Welcome to the Velshi Band Book Club. I'm MSNBC's Ali Velshi. Let's start today's meeting with some words from the enduring American novelist Nathaniel Hawthorne. The year is 1855, and a frustrated Hawthorne vents to his publisher in a letter, quote, America is now wholly given over to a damned mob of scribbling women, and I should have no chance of success while the public taste is occupied with their trash, and I should be ashamed of myself if I did succeed, end quote. Today's episode explores and celebrates those scribbling women and their trash. Two powerful books written by women for women. 168 years later, the words might be different than what Hawthorne wrote, but the disdain for heteronormative women-centric literature is still entirely prevalent and unrelenting. Chick Lit, as the genre was rudely dubbed in the 90s, dismisses these novels as frivolous and light, devoid of serious topics, characters, or explorations, with that light little title. These books aren't literature. They're just Chick Lit. Plot-wise, these books generally center around a major setback or a moment of trauma and then a move forward, success for our leading lady in love or work or self-growth. Despite the variation in story, these books are rooted in accessing love, joy, companionship, and self-examination. In the pages of these books, women are allowed to want and then actually get those things. On this episode of the Velshi Band Book Club, we're opening two books with strong messages, strong female characters, and even stronger authors. The beloved Meg Cabot on her book, Ready or Not, and the award-winning Lori Hulse Anderson on her book, Speak. Let's start with Ready or Not. You might think that after saving the President of the United States from an assassination attempt, becoming a national celebrity and a U.N. teen ambassador, that your life might be a little wild. But 17-year-old Samantha Madison is very normal, trying to navigate her after-school job at Sullivan's Art Supplies, her newly dyed black hair, and deciding whether she's ready to have sex with her boyfriend, the President's son, David, after dating for over a year. That is the plot of Meg Cabot's Ready or Not. And it is a very Cabot-type plot, indeed, best known for the Princess Diaries book series and a smash movie adaptation, Cabot has become synonymous with women-first stories that are multifaceted, funny, timely, and readable. It's impossible to overstate the magnitude of Cabot's influence for those who came of age in the early 2000s. An entire generation of women raised on Cabot's distinct voice and brand of humor. Cabot's 80-plus titles deftly subvert the notion of what is so-called chick-lit. 
Her genre-expanding books are as thought-provoking as they are funny, as deeply readable as they are light, and as romantic as they are empowering. And Ready or Not is no exception. Part romance and part coming-of-age story, the book follows Sam on her path to being ready to have consensual sex. She consults her older sister, buys contraceptives, and shares her feelings with her boyfriend, whose stakes in engaging in sex are so much lower as a young man. And yet, the most honest moments in Ready or Not are when there is no action or conversation at all. Rather, in the midst of Sam's internal dialogue and frank deliberation on this first, quote, what would David do, I wondered, if I said no? Would he dump me? I mean, if I just came out and told him that while he might think we're ready for sex, I'm not so sure, end quote. And then a few pages later, quote, what if David and I did it and word got out? Would people call me a slut behind my back? End quote. Throughout Ready or Not, Sam fully grasps the magnitude of sex, the possible social consequences and health risks, but never in a way that is rooted in shame. Something else Ready or Not never engages with, inappropriate or graphic depictions of sex. Ready or Not sounds like a conversation you might overhear in a high school cafeteria or what your daughter discusses with trusted friends, irrevocably age-appropriate and real. Any parent who thinks that Ready or Not and its central themes are not the reality for most high school-age students is simply wrong. Sex, when and with whom you choose to have it, is part of everyone's coming-of-age story. It always has been, and it always will be. And yet, for many teens, safe and appropriate spaces to explore and learn what consenting sex might look like are rapidly disappearing. According to the Guttmacher Institute, 39 states have laws requiring abstinence inclusion in sex education curricula, while only 20 states require educators to also share information about birth control. The consequences of limited sex education go well beyond empowerment to make your own choice. There is a direct correlation between rates of teen pregnancy and STI contraction with the type of sex ed students have access to. Also, according to the Guttmacher Institute, the more that state policies emphasize abstinence-only programs, the higher the incidence of adolescent pregnancies and births. These students cannot explore or learn about this in the safety of their local library either. Ready or not, and other Cabot titles have been removed from shelves in both Florida and Texas, and more bans are surely on the way. Velshi Band Book Club members know that this is far from the first or only book to grapple with sex that has faced calls for ban. Joining me now to discuss all of this and more is Meg Cabot, author of numerous books, including The Princess Diaries and today's first Velshi Band book club feature of the day, Ready or Not. You know, your, your, your book covers uh, really interesting and important themes. But as we were sort of putting this together, we were trying to decide some of the things from the book to, to put into the discussion. And my executive producer uh, described me as a pearl-clutching prude for not necessarily using the same language that you use in your book. I, I don't think I am, but that's kind of the point, right? Like, that's the issue. The issue is that you write about things that some parents might think they don't really talk, want to talk about it. They don't want to use that kind of language, but you're writing because that's how kids talk. It is, and um, that's one of the reasons why I wrote the book. I, I felt like there were a lot of kids, at least when I was growing up and still, I think, to this day, whose parents don't tell them about these kinds of things. And 
in many places, school is not telling them about these kinds of things. And it's a really important issue. And I felt like, you know, I, I'll do it, Ben. And um, so I did in this my, book. My, my executive producer is grateful to you. Uh, let's let's get right into the book, <laughs> into Ready or Not. Uh, and there's so many books to choose from from you, but let's talk about Ready or Not. I want to start at the end without giving anything away. The book does end with a critique from Samantha's drawing teacher. Quote, when it came time for the critique of our evening's work, Susan was pleased with my results. Very good, Sam, she said about my drawing. You're really learning. Yes, I said with some surprise. I guess I really am. Why end it there with Sam learning? I mean, the, the whole book is sort of a journey of Sam learning. Yeah, and Sam is an aspiring artist, and art lessons are very important to her. It's how she meets her boyfriend, David, who she has a long-term, well, for teens, a year is a long-time relationship. And um, she's learning to draw as well as she can, and she's in a life drawing class with David. And she's trying to learn to draw a figure as a whole. So that theme comes into the book quite a bit. Like, how you don't, you can't just draw a part. You have to draw the whole drawing. And um, that comes back into the story multiple times. So she is learning to think of things as a whole and not just as a part. And um, that ends up being a huge source of conflict for her later with the uh, actually president of the United States. What's the metaphor for that with uh, kids in high school and thinking, whether it's about sex or all the components that become so important that are such sources of anxiety to, to high school kids about whether it's relationships or how they relate to other people or even social media. What's the metaphor of thinking about parts versus the whole? I think in this book specifically, it's about a campaign that the, the president, who is her boyfriend's father, is launching to have families spend more time together. But then later, not to give anything away, but Sam does find out that the campaign is to keep teens from having access to birth control without their parents' knowledge. And um, she becomes upset. And it's so weird because I wrote this book 20 years ago, but it rings kind of even more yeah. true today because women are being denied access to women's health care all over the place. And this is the thing that Sam becomes enraged about. She's like, how can you expect us to be a family living together as a whole when you are separating one part of that family and treating them not as equals? And she's furious about it and unfortunately does that on, on live TV and kind of causes friction with her boyfriend. But fortunately, it doesn't. <laughs> but it is wildly relevant, despite the fact that the book was written so long ago. Let's talk about the character of Lucy, Sam's older sister, who talks to her about contraceptives, uh, among other things. We find out Lucy is deciding to wait. Quote, he wasn't the one, but but you thought he was for a long time. You can't tell me you didn't. You even told me he was your first. My first love, Lucy said, not my first, you know. I is Lucy <laughs> yeah. written in as a foil? Um, Lucy is kind of the character who chooses to wait. And she chose to wait because she felt that the guy she was with wasn't the right guy and it wasn't the right time. Whereas Sam, as we find out later in the book, although none of this is on the page, kind of decides that this is the right guy and it is the right time for her. And she makes all of the right choices that she should with the help of her older sister, who is, has, she's read a lot and has a lot of kind of knowledgeable friends who helps Sam out in that department so that she will be able to consent safely and follow through with her actions without getting hurt, which is really important. It's important that people have a Lucy in their life, but Lucy's choices are her own. Sure. And that's what it's so important is that everybody has a choice. So um, is the point that a high schooler reads this book and is given at least somebody's roadmap about how to make the decision about when and how and all the things that get involved in, in, in having sex? 
Absolutely. And, you know, I worked with teens for a really long time. I actually worked at NYU for 10 years. And um, you, I couldn't even tell you how many kids ended up coming to that school who were incredibly book smart, but they didn't know anything about this kind of stuff because they'd never been taught in school. Their parents had been too uncomfortable to talk to them about it. So that's where I started getting the idea. Oh my gosh, this is something that maybe, you know, if it comes out in a fun book about a girl who's dating the president's son, but we throw in, I always call it like putting a little spoonful of sugar to help the medicine go down. This one has a lot of sugar and, you know, there's a little medicine with it. Um, just to tell them like, this is, it's okay to talk about these things. And it's especially important to talk about it with your prospective partner so that nobody's surprised because these abstinence programs, which is what they're really pushing, especially in in Florida where I live, um, they don't prepare kids for the eventuality that they might end up being in a situation where they're going to need the little, (laughs) the little brown paper bag that Lucy ends up giving her sister. So, you know, on one hand, one might say an important roadmap for girls or high school age students to sort of understand how to navigate these things if they're not learning it from their parents or perhaps their school or or their church or wherever they're getting it. On the other hand, critics of your book have said it's a roadmap. It's a it's a way to teach kids how to have premarital sex at a high school age. Well, safely. Yeah. And the problem with um, that critique is that a very large percentage of kids who are getting abstinence education, they're going ahead and having sex and they're not doing it with protection. And my goal, I don't have kids, but I have a lot of nieces and nephews. And I also really am looking forward to a future where I can have really great um, doctors and lawyers and people who aren't affected as teenagers because of a dumb mistake that they made because they were never given the information that they needed. So that's something that I thought, well, if I can do this, I'm going to do it. So I, I did. And I don't have any regrets. I, I regret the Britney Murphy and Britney Spears remarks that I made in the book, which were the characters opinions of those people. But that's it. The rest I'm like, yeah, I think it, I, it still stands up today because we are so as women, still being attacked for our healthcare choices. And it's insane. Thanks to the prolific Meg Cabot, author of numerous books, including Ready or Not. Right after a quick break, I'll be joined by the amazing Lori Hulse Anderson on her magnum opus, Speak, a book that made a generation of young women everywhere feel seen and understood in their darkest moments. It is every bit a contemporary classic, a story of strength. This is the Velshi Band Book Club. I'm Cindy Lauper. My psoriasis was all over, even on my scalp, which may mean four times the risk for psoriatic arthritis. But Cosentix works on both. Cosentix secukinumab is prescribed for adults with moderate to severe plaque psoriasis 300 milligram dose and adults with active psoriatic arthritis 150 milligram dose. Don't use if you're allergic to Cosentix. Before starting, get checked for TB. Serious allergic reactions, severe skin reactions that look like eczema, and an increased risk of infections, some fatal, have occurred. Cosentix may lower ability to fight infections, so tell your doctor if you have an infection or symptoms like fevers, sweats, chills, muscle aches, or cough, had a vaccine or plan to, or if IBD symptoms develop or worsen. Learn more at Cosentix.com or one Eight four four Cosentix. Ask your doctor about Cosentix. Let's get into our second book of the day. 
Melinda Sordino, the protagonist of Lori Hulse Anderson's award-winning novel, Speak, begins her first day of high school with, quote, seven new notebooks, a skirt she hates, and a stomachache. She walks the hallways tormented by a very dark secret. Melinda was raped at a party over the summer. Shocked and unsure of what to do in that moment, she called the cops but could not say the words out loud. They arrived at the party anyway and broke it up. She is branded a snitch, bullied and ostracized by her former friends and classmates. Her grades sink lower. She falls into a depression and even self-harms. Melinda turns in on herself, and she struggles to come to terms with what happened to her. She literally cannot find the words. Written as a stream of consciousness with limited pointed dialogue, Speak poignantly explores the immediate aftermath and emotional repercussions of rape. Speak grapples with isolation, appearance versus reality, and the power of kindness. For all the darkness, there is light, too. By the last few chapters of the book, it is evident that Melinda can begin to cope with her trauma. She takes control in numerous ways, even by facing her attacker directly. Most crucially, she regains her voice. The power of your story, of using your voice, is the resounding chorus in Speak. It should come as no surprise that Speak has appeared on the American Library Association's top 100 banned and challenged books since its publication in 1999, climbing higher on the list each year. There is a veracity behind the calls to remove Speak from school syllabi and library shelves that we have not seen from many other Velshi banned book features. Here's one example of many. In 2010, an associate professor at Missouri State University, Wesley Scroggins, challenged Speak and other books in the nearby Republic Missouri Public School curriculum in an op-ed entitled Filthy Books Demeaning to Republic Education. Writing in part, quote, as another school year begins at Republic schools, parents need to be cautious and inquire as to the nature of the material that their children may be exposed to. In high school English classes, children are required to read and view material that should be classified as soft pornography. One such book is called Speak, end quote. According to RAIN, the nation's largest anti-sexual violence organization, 44% of rape and attempted rape victims are under the age of 18. Females aged 16 to 19 are four times more likely than the general population to be victims. In Speak, it is a teenager who experiences assault at the hands of another teenager. It is a teenager who finds the courage to speak out, and there are real teenage survivors who may find strength and solace in reading Speak. I've said this before, and I'll say it again. To ban a book like Speak sends a clear message that these topics are not to be discussed. They are something that should be kept silent. The irony in that. I'm joined now by Laurie Hulse Anderson, author of the award-winning young adult novel, Speak. You included a note on censorship on the very last page of the 20th anniversary edition of Speak. You conclude it with, our children cannot afford to have the truth of the world withheld from them. They need us to be brave enough to give them great books so they can learn how to grow up into men and women we want them to be. Tell me what your view is on this, because your book is so heavily challenged. Which just, it, it defies understanding, to be honest with you. Sexual violence is something that all of our children are going to run across in some form 
uh, over their lives. And you would think that people would find the educational system as well as homes the right place to talk about these things. Our kids need us to have the courage to talk about things that many parents are uncomfortable with. And I get that. I understand that fully. We didn't have parents who knew how to talk to us about these things. But it, it, when we keep putting the sexuality, not just books about uh, sexual violence, but also LGBTQ books, uh, books that, that feature protagonists that are not white, that are not Christian, just all this constellation of books that are under attack right now. When we keep them away from our children, we are withholding wisdom from our kids. We are making life harder for our children and we are damaging our nation. Why in a world where all of this information is so readily accessible uh, on the internet, are we not getting better at this? When you say our parents weren't equipped to have these conversations with us, you're, you're right. But it's 2022 now. You wrote your book in 1999. Why aren't we better at these particular issues? Sexual assault continues to happen uh, to young people, including young girls. And young boys. Sexual assault happens to all people of every gender identity. Yep. And I think it's because we in this country, we're so good at using sex to sell products. Um, we know how prevalent pornography is, but we've never been able to find the way to have a responsible conversation uh, about basic human sexuality, about consent-based sexuality. There are many other countries that do know how to do this, for the record, but we are definitely lagging behind here. You actually make a point of this, uh, in fact, because some of the criticism of your book, including the uh, uh one that I just read, was about the fact that it's pornography um, and that our, our young adults should not be subject to having to read as part of their syllabus or in their school libraries pornography. And you argue that somebody's just misunderstanding this if you think that what you're writing about sexual assault is pornography. Yeah, I responded to that op-ed with my own, and I said that anybody who finds um, the rape of a 13-year-old's soft pornography has larger issues that I can't help them with. I think that's where we get into the weeds on these things. We have to take a step back away and say, look, if we're going to be responsible adults, we know that as kids enter, particularly their teenage years, um, we're going to have to talk about things that make us uncomfortable. We're the grownups. It's our responsibility to provide kids with information that will help them succeed through their teenage years, but also succeed as adults. Uh, if we're not going to talk to them about sexual violence, just as they're going through puberty, when are we going to talk to them? Are you going to wait till your kids come home, you know, from graduate school? Uh, I, I really think the solution to this is not to be found on the internet alley. I think the solution is to be found in community. Um, I would love to see community book clubs. I would love to see faith-based community book clubs where adults can read these books that are making them feel a little bit uncomfortable. This would be a great PTA mm -hmm. project, by the way, and start talking together. This is part of the reason I wrote my memoir, Shout, which is aimed at teens, but also aimed at adults, um, to give us all the language, right? We're all feeling a little bit stifled for many different reasons um, and using stories using books. That is the age-old way that we get better at things. That's how we share our wisdom, how we share our values, our ethics, information. By creating literate citizens, that's how we take our country to, uh, to the place it should be in. So you talk about your memoir, Shout. Uh, it's a memoir that details your own experience with sexual assault at the age of 13. You've said before that writing Speak 
helped you find your voice, just like your protagonist, Melinda. Uh, can you tell me a little bit more about how Speak led to Shout for you? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I never thought Speak would be published, so that's still a surprise I'm grappling with. Um, but it did help me as my oldest child hit the same age I was when I was raped, age 13. That's when I really realized that I had to process and get some help for, for some uh, very old wounds that I was still carrying inside me. And out of that came the writing of Speak, which is not my story. It was a fictionalized account of what it felt like to go through sexual violence and not be able to talk about it. And then I spent 20 years on the road visiting schools around the country, around the world, and hearing from our teenagers how much things haven't changed. Since I was 13, since Speak came out, we still have generation after generation of kids who lack the language to talk about uh, sexuality and to have honest conversations to know how do I negotiate consent? What does that look like? When Speak came out, I thought, okay, maybe we'll use Speak as a way to, to protect or to help young girls. I was thinking in a very binary fashion back then. Um, but when I wrote Shout, which is me a little bit older and a lot angrier, um, I recognize that we have a responsibility to all of our kids because the perpetrators of sexual violence against teens tend to also be teens. And so we are harming all of our kids when we don't talk about this. Lori, thank you for this. We really, really appreciate it. Lori Hall-Sanderson is the author of Speak and Now Shout, important books that have been around for a long time and continue to get on challenged and banned lists and may more people uh, buy and read your books as a result. Lori Hall-Sanderson, appreciate you thank being you, here. And if you know someone, by the way, who has been the victim of sexual assault, rape, or attempted rape, there are resources available for help. Rain runs a national free and confidential hotline. The number is 1-800-656-4673. There is always a way forward. We have just one more episode of the Velshi Band Book Club this season, and it is arguably our most important episode yet. We're covering two giants in the literary field, Toni Morrison and Zora Neale Hurston. Few authors have changed American culture more than these two brilliant writers. Ivy League scholars Dr. Imani Perry and Dr. Eddie Glaude Jr. look at Morrison's celebrated work, Beloved, a book that demands you look squarely in the face of not only the institution of slavery in this country, but its continued effect. Then, Dr. Perry and Ibram X. Kendi open the covers of Hurston's Their Eyes Were Watching God, the story of a woman searching for dignity and agency. Do not miss it. Thanks so much for listening. The writer and producer of this podcast is Hannah Holland. Our booking producer is Lily Corvo. Associate producers are Chanel Adams, Samantha Brown, Nicole McReynolds, and Jen Maris Perez. Production assistant is Eunice Adekoya. Our senior producers are Jared Blake, Dina Moss, and Alicia Conley. Rebecca Dryden is our executive producer. Our technical director is Bryson Barnes. Our audio engineer is Cedric Wilson. Aisha Turner is the executive producer for MSNBC Audio. And Rebecca Cutler is the senior vice president for content strategy at MSNBC. Search for Velshi Band Book Club wherever you get your podcasts and follow the series. You can also catch Velshi on MSNBC every weekend at 10 a.m. Eastern. Hey, friends, are you struggling to attract and retain top talent? 
If you're worried about recruiting and retention, consider Insperity, a leading HR provider. They'll help you improve hiring and compensation practices so you can spend more time growing your business and less time on HR. Visit Insperity.com and download their free ebook on how to build your dream team. Don't let a lack of talent hinder your success. See how Insperity provides HR that makes a difference at Insperity.com.